Hello and welcome back to Life Lessons. In this episode, I speak to Lydia from Nurture with Lydia as she is a breastfeeding counsellor. But this episode is so much more than that. I feel like with the pressure to breastfeed felt by a lot of mothers, I wanted to create an episode so that women can just feel as prepared for birth and that they can make informed decisions about what's best for them and their baby. I'm sure this is a bit of a niche subject and won't be applicable to all of my listeners, but I will have another episode soon that might be of more interest to you. And once again, this episode is sponsored by Whoop. I'm sure you know by now that Whoop is a wearable fitness tracker that specializes in breaking down your recovery, sleep and workouts, while also helping you to manage your overall health and well-being. And this week, I've actually found even more interesting data from the sleep statistics. I saw that I had the best sleep of my life. And after comparing the variables to other nights, I was able to see that my skin temperature was much lower on my higher recovery night, which I suppose great information going forward. You know, you, I know now to make sure to keep the room as cool as possible coming into summer and you know a good sleep can lead to a good day which can lead to a good life so I think it is so beneficial to have these tools to maximize the quality of sleep that you do get even if it's not that much if you would like to start tracking your health wellness and fitness at a deeper level today go to join.whoop.com forward slash Siobhan to get your first month free and a free whoop 4.0 device on me that's join.whoop.com forward slash Siobhan and I'll have a link in the show notes I hope you find this episode helpful hello Lydia thanks for joining us hi well, me. Don't Thank you so close. much for having me. <laughs> I know, I, I, this is obviously, I almost feel selfish doing this conversation because it's um, something I need to learn about. Um, so I, we had a chat a couple of months ago now. Um, yeah, about two and well, a not a months. chat. It was it was an in depth. It was like nearly two hours of you explaining everything I needed to learn about feeding my baby and a straight like everything. I, as soon as I was listening to you speak, I was like, I wish I'd recorded this for a podcast because it was so valuable. Um, so I want to, I, I like might get a little bit of your background about why you are so passionate about it and. Yeah. yeah, we're going to talk about feeding your baby. It's not just about breastfeeding; it's about finding what's best for you. Um, so tell us a little bit about your background and how you are now running Nurture with Lydia. Yeah, sure. Um, so I am a breastfeeding counsellor, but don't let that name, you know, make you think that I'm not supportive of all feeding types. It's just the title and the qualification that I have. Um, so, you know, my role is to support mums, parents, families to feed their baby however they want to on their terms. Um, and yeah, it really does just cover all feeding feeding methods. And I sort of my driving force behind what I do is um, my own struggles with breastfeeding. So I wanted to exclusively breastfeed my daughter and there's just so much I know now that I had no idea about and unfortunately wasn't told or educated about, didn't even know where to turn to. And uh, I also uh, gave birth in the middle of a lockdown in the global pandemic. So you can imagine what that did to support, no one-to-one support, no face-to-face support. It was, um, you know, an enormous struggle. And uh, my daughter was actually bottle fed for two weeks and then I managed to move to breastfeeding. But that move to breastfeeding was one of the hardest things I've ever had to do with such little support. Um, and I would have saved myself a lot of stress, tears, feeling like a failure, you know, so many, so many emotions if I had had some education and just had some support. Um, and so, you know, I always sort of describe it as I now want to be the support that I never had, you know. Um, I I have firsthand experience of, of the little pockets where I, if I had had some information, some skills, just, you know, extra support in how to do things, what to know, you know, is normal or not then it would have really been a, an easier journey for me. So I'm just yeah, trying to make yeah. things easier for other people. Yeah, I mean, I'm so glad we had that talk because obviously 
all I knew before that was, you know, some people take to breastfeeding and some people don't. And which I was, you know, in my head, I was like, whatever happens, happens. Um, but I think having the having as much knowledge as possible means then that you feel as informed as you can be. And then whatever, you know, like and then still whatever happens, happens. But I'd like to think that I gave it my best shot. Um, Absolutely. And then I, I didn't even realize there are things to consider before giving birth I thought you know like when it comes there's out that's when so I talk much, to a lactation consultant <laughs> there's so much you can do to prepare um in during pregnancy and it is one of my biggest pieces of advice if I if I was asked it is to prepare during pregnancy and it feels bizarre because it's kind of like how can I prepare when I my baby's not here yet and I physically can't breastfeed them bottle feed them you know I can't pump I don't know I don't know how I can start but there's so much you can do and what you just said was su such an important sort of common understanding of breastfeeding some people can some people can't and don't get me wrong there are conditions such as insufficient glandular tissue um, any breast augmentation may affect um, how the milk that's how the breast anatomy works and some hormonal imbalances but this actually affects a smaller percentage of women that's what we sort of call primary reasons for having insufficient milk supply etc but the secondary reasons really can come down to support information education of how you're you know maintaining your milk supply how you're feeding your baby whether it's responsible which we'll talk about later and I just think um a really common misconception is some just aren't just can't do it just aren't good enough just can't do it and I just I hate that that can sometimes fall back on the mum thing like I just couldn't do it I just wasn't good enough where actually so many of those mothers that that you know may describe their breastfeeding experiences I just couldn't as you know what points in that journey could they have just got some extra support? Did they deserve some extra support? And so you know my biggest thing is just you know like you said giving it your best shot but with as much support around you as possible. Yeah. And I, I was only recently thinking about it, about, you know, obviously there's so many benefits to breastfeeding and, but it's almost like you don't want to say it too much because, you know, there are some people who can't and I don't want to, you know, I say like you see feed shaming and everything online and I don't want to go down that path but I think it is important to talk about the benefits Very. that breast milk yeah. has, whether, you know, you're pumping or whatever way you give it. Like, can you explain a little bit about the benefits of it? Yeah. Absolutely. And, you know, what is unfortunately happens is, is people, you know, we can praise breastfeeding without shaming formula, formula feeding, but due to the, you know, it's such an emotional experience. And if someone wasn't able to feed their baby how they wanted to, then they could be filled with some blame, filled with regret, filled with so many, you know, emotions that to then hear about the benefits of breastfeeding can be hard to hear maybe sometimes because you, if you feel you weren't able to, but also some just choose not to. So, yeah. you know, the pressure to breastfeed when you don't want to, I think is incredibly difficult. Um, and, uh, you know, unfortunately many are sort of made to feel like they're doing the wrong thing, but whatever works for you and is right for you and you're happy to do is the right thing for you. And yes, breast milk, it has the components to be the be the most suitable food for a baby, but, What's best for baby isn't always best for mum. And a mum who is happy, whose mental health is, you know, is good, who, you know, isn't feeling pressured, feeling like she's doing the wrong thing, that's that's important. And we need to always respect that. But benefits of breastfeeding, I mean, so many. Um, so, you know, the one of my favourites, let's say, is um, it's, an it's antibodies. So if a baby is unwell through breastfeeding, your body knows to create that exact antibody to um, sort of support and get them better from that exact illness. And so, you know, my, my daughter, she's two and a half now, she gets conjunctivitis. I am getting <laughs> breast milk out in a syringe and I'm squirting it in her eye because of it's fantastic healing properties oh, no um yeah yeah 
<laughs> like that but I, I always said breast milk solved most of my problems <laughs> um and you know other benefits of breastfeeding is um that colostrum is the first milk that that um, your breast will make it starts around week 20 and um it will be there for the first few days until your your milk comes in um and colostrum is uh it's a really important sort of concentrated thick liquid it's important as the start of, of your baby's sort of feeding journey because very high antibacterial uh, antibodies and also it protect it provides a protective gut lining um a baby's gut is permeable so things can pass through the gut lining gut wall and so um for colostrum to protect Give them that protective lining it can reduce infection bacteria passing through also can reduce um their chances of having a cow's milk allergy and other allergies in the future um so i just think that's pretty incredible um <laughs> and colostrum is also a love a really great laxative effect so meconium is a baby's first poo it is thick sticky tar like wet wipes will do nothing kind of thing and um if you think about how sticky that is you've got this to come to <laughs> um <laughs> think about that traveling through their their intestine so it's a lovely sort of laxative effect and breastfeeding as well it reduces um you know the, the risk of uh baby and mum developing so many different kinds of cancers diabetes later in life the list goes on it's incredible I could talk about it for hours and yeah so it's funny I've, I made this um kind of comparison today to talking about you know like say the perfect diet for someone whereas yeah like if you had completely unprocessed foods and high protein, like there's, there is like perfect diet for people, you know, for health, for whatever reason, but at the same time, you need to be realistic. So like, I, I'm very realistic with clients and stuff to say like, yes, there is that perfect diet, but what's actually optimal for you? You know, what, what will work well for your lifestyle? And I think that's, you know, it's good to have the benefits or to know, to understand the benefits, but then be, I suppose, accepting and realistic about what's good for you and your lifestyle. Because, yeah, I mean, when I heard about breastfeeding, even years ago when I was learning about it through nutrition, I was like, oh my God, it's the most important thing. I was, you know, saying, to, I was like, oh, good thing my mom breastfed me. Anyway, I just re I've only found out recently that she didn't, <laughs> um, at least not for a very long time. And I was like, oh. What? But so then I, I was, you know, I had a friend who was struggling, um, and I was like, "Don't worry." I was like, "Look how well I turned out. I wasn't breastfed." And um, the same. I was so, a formula-fed baby. Yeah. yeah so I, I mean, I'm only joking about. Oh God, there's probably enough wrong with me. You know that you could probably could pick a few things out. But I think it's you know, there's optimal diets, and then there's optimal diet for you. And I think that applies to your baby as well. It's like, obviously, yeah, if yeah. you know the benefits, get it in. But you know, let's figure out what it'd be best prepared for everything. Um. Because I know you talked about colostrum harvesting before. So this is the kind of thing I'm like, right, I should probably start thinking about this now or soon. And yeah. um, so can you explain a little bit about that? I was trying to explain to my sister. Yeah, absolutely. Like, so, um, yeah. so we, I mentioned a bit about colostrum. It's the first milk that your breasts make. Um, and then your milk will come in usually between day two and four after giving birth. Um, and so this is when the colostrum becomes the mature milk. And it's a sort of a slow process. Your milk will like slowly change into, into the mature milk. So colostrum thick concentrated coming out in small amounts because it's so full of all the things your baby needs for their first feed so much goodness but it comes out in small amounts um so why would you harvest your colostrum so you can do this in pregnancy and harvesting literally means collecting it and storing it in your freezer ahead of your baby's birth 
So there's many reasons why colostrum harvesting is beneficial. So if breastfeeding, if you choose to breastfeed and breastfeeding is delayed for any reason, and it really can be a number of reasons. Um, it can be, you know, if you are both separated um, following the birth temporarily, so you aren't able to have your baby at the breast. If baby is sleepy, if they're just not latching in that first um, sort of hour or so, um, then you can still feed them your milk via an oral syringe. So it's a very small one milliliter oral syringe. And this is how you actually withdraw the colostrum from your breast. So from 36 weeks, if your pregnancy is low risk, um, and if you are high risk, then I would just recommend discussing this with your midwife if it's something you want to do, because they'll obviously know your medical history and they'll be able to sort of give you some feedback on whether that's possible or not. But from 36 weeks, low risk pregnancy, you should be able to harvest your colostrum. And you do this by something called hand expressing. And hand expressing is literally expressing out milk using your hands. And there is a knack to it. It's a skill to, that I really recommend people do learn. And it actually is really beneficial post-birth as well. So if you're feeling engorged, which is when your breasts are very full of milk and you need to remove milk, they can become um, hard, a little bit uncomfortable. And it can suddenly sometimes be a struggle for your baby to latch because they don't like to latch on a hard breast. They like a nice comfortable soft one so you know the thing I would always recommend is hand express for a couple of minutes till your breast softens a little bit if you are away from your baby you're out for an evening or out for an hour and you you realize you need to remove milk if you don't have your pump or your pump was um fell out of battery or you forgot one of the parts like it's really sort of lovely to know that you still have the skill to remove milk because we don't want to get it. if we don't remove milk when we need to when we're engorged then it can lead to some nasty things like block ducts and mastitis which you can become quite unwell from um if not sort of treated promptly so hand expressing it's a skill I really recommend people try and pick up in, in pregnancy. So then you already know what you're doing if you need it when baby's here. And uh once you once sort of you hand express it can take some women a, a little while some women are already leaking colostrum some women don't aren't able to get any colostrum but it's you know really important to know that's not a reflection of your future milk supply just because you can't get colostrum out in pregnancy doesn't mean you have no milk what it means is we have lots of hormones fluctuating changing during pregnancy and some of these hormones can suppress um, the release of oxytocin which is the um, hormone needed for your uh, milk to come out of your breast out of your nipple and that's how you'd obviously harvest your colostrum so um, if you have suppressed oxytocin, then you may not be able to get any, but it, it's not something to worry about. But once you see colostrum appear through hand expressing, um, you, it literally will come out in little drops. And because it's that thick concentrated, it's not very watery. So it's like a little blob <laughs> and it can be yellowy. It can be um, a little bit creamy. It can be totally see-through, which is when some people go, I haven't got milk, it's just see-through, but that is your colostrum. It can be a little bit blue due to a protein called casein, which can turn it a little blue. Honestly, it can be lots of colors. And um, you can withdraw it, up, draw it, up into the syringe but once you've sort of got whatever you're able to 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 draw out of your of your breast pop the cap on label it with your name um especially if you're going to hospital obviously if it's home birth and you, it's in your freezer i'm sure people will know whose it is but in hospital it's going to go into a hospital fridge where there might be lots of other people's colostrum or you know you never know so your name um the date that it was uh, frozen and all things like that you can label that if you have several i'd pop them in a in a sandwich bag see-through so if you need to quickly grab them and go you can just grab them like that and so yeah so this is your can be your baby's first first feed if breastfeeding is delayed and you'd still like to give them your milk and if you don't want to use formula it removes the need for it because you can supplement with your own breast milk okay yeah and i think that you have um you probably have videos on your instagram about how to 
Yeah, do that. L- loads. Yeah. I've talked about colostrum a lot. So I've got um, a demo video of how to hand express, um, how to then with uh, draw the colostrum out of your breast, um, how to transport it to hospital. So I'll quickly mention that um, obviously we need to keep it cool as it's frozen. Once it starts to thaw, it needs to be used within 24 hours. So, you know, if your birth, uh, your labour, sorry, does take longer than 24 hours, unfortunately, you will need to get rid of that colostrum and it's heartbreaking. So for example, if you had, if you only had two or three syringes, I'd just bring them. If you had 10, if you had eight, maybe you could think about leaving a couple at home and planning for someone to bring them if you need more. But once baby's here, you can still continue to harvest colostrum, feed it directly to your baby. Um, But it's just, it's like, it relieves a bit of pressure to get baby fed if you know the yeah. colostrum is there. And um, it's just a nice little insurance policy for if breastfeeding is delayed for any reason at all. Yeah. And that's my next question is like, OK, let's what what do I need to be prepared? Like what do I because, I, you know, it, what, if if breastfeeding doesn't happen or doesn't latch or whatever, like what do I even need in terms of bottles? Like, do I need to have formula ready just in case? Um, like obviously you have the colostrum there if possible like what how, how is best to be prepared for birth it's a big question but so yeah so obviously actual birth is obviously not as much my remit but feeding and birth yeah. are so intertwined that um you know you have to be prepared for every every delivery method every outcome um of of because you know whether if you had a cesarean then some of uh, you know if you have a spinal block or an epidural those drugs can make your baby a little bit sleepy lethargic so that would mean that they may not be sort of as ready to latch and some babies just they are just tired giving birth is is tiring uh sorry being born is tiring and giving birth is tiring so they are just a bit sleepy and that some babies are born and they're just ready to feed and some just aren't so having that colostrum there is obviously fantastic but the things to sort of be prepared for for birth colostrum is going to be one of your biggest ones um another one is is having a feeding plan you know really having a think about how do i want to feed my baby do i do i want to breastfeed do i not want to breastfeed at all would i like to breastfeed in some capacity so if you want to breastfeed in some capacity my advice is to prioritize establishing breastfeeding over thinking about bottles um but i think a real sort of fear is if it's just if it's just not happening for me if it's just not working I'm not getting the right support to get baby latched on well what what the hell do I do because baby still needs to feed right so a bottle still wouldn't necessarily have to it's not a necessary part of breastfeeding but obviously um if you do feel you need to to bottle feed your baby then then it becomes a necessity and if it's your choice as well you can also you know bottles not the only feeding method apart from breast you can um cup feed a newborn baby you can um feed them from a sterile teaspoon you can use um yeah, you can you can continue to syringe feed whilst it's the colostrum and they're needing those small amounts. And you can use something called a supplemental nursing system. So what that is, is a separate container of milk, whether that be expressed or formula, and then um, a very small, thin feeding tube that can either be taped to your breast so baby's still suckling, or it could be used as finger feeding. So you're putting your finger in their mouth to get their sucking reflex going. And also this very small tube, and you can use syringes for that as well. So I think it's like knowing your options because um, generally it's advised if you do want to exclusively breastfeed, to try try not to introduce a bottle until breastfeeding is established and now this this is mainly just so baby you and baby can just get used to breastfeeding sort of you know you're learning every day no one's a pro when when babies well you don't just know how to do it it's a learned skill it's natural but it's something you do have to learn so whilst you're both getting the hang of it not introducing another thing another method of feeding can be really beneficial just to get you got you know get you feeling more confident and establishing breastfeeding but of course a bottle can become a necessity if 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 people feel they need to introduce it lots of you know lots of mums may feel they just they want to have a little break so they want their partner to be introduced but if you don't want to do that another sort of reason 
that a bottle might be introduced earlier than that is if baby isn't gaining weight um, as well as hoped, as quickly as hoped. And, you know, if a baby at that way and it can sort of be panic stations, um, you've got to sort of feed baby a lot, a lot more, feed them every two, make sure you're feeding them every two hours without fail you know, su supplementing, you need to add your express milk, or you need to add formula. But you know, what's important there is to find the root cause of the issue. Why is baby slow to gain weight? Is it a, a shallow latch? Is the latch not deep enough? Because if you're supplementing and continuing a shallow latch, we're not going to fix the problem, we're just masking the problem. So you see bottles, ha they do have a role, they absolutely can. But it's not like a necess necessary part of breastfeeding a necessary part of your sort of hospital bag if you're planning to exclusively breastfeed but if some if it's something you think about introducing at some point i'd certainly have a research on on, on sort of what you want to buy we've got so much next day delivery these days that just like plan well, what you can get maybe in the uk we're in ireland so it's not always next day okay 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 <laughs> learn um, that the hard way yeah i know i miss it that's one thing i miss about london um but actually that was something like that's what i want to ask about considerations like what what to consider Consider when you're deciding whether to exclusively breastfeed, to pump or to combination feed with formula. And obviously you want to think about lifestyle as well. You want like, does the part you mm. want to be able to like have your partner feeding the baby? Um, you know, I think obviously I've heard that, you know, breastfeeding obviously is a wonderful experience for you and the baby. And I almost feel like it's almost selfish, but like, I just want to exclusively breastfeed so I get to do it all. But then also I think being realistic, you know, and I do value my sleep. I suppose the question is, how do I decide what, how to manage that? Like, do you, do you decide just to start pumping or would you, or what do you even need to think about when you're deciding on a plan for feeding the baby or is it like baby yeah. led or I don't know. I, I, okay. I yeah. Yeah. yeah no, I, I, yeah. <laughs> so firstly to choose to exclusively breastfeed, you're not selfish at all, at all. Um, and Yes, it's a wonderful bonding experience for you, breastfeeding. But feeding is not the only way you bond with your baby. So um, what I'd always want to make sure everyone knew is that you are not selfish and you shouldn't feel guilty for wanting to exclusively breastfeed your baby. Your partner can bond with your baby in so many other ways. They can baby them singing to yeah changing the nappies but singing to them eye contact let them hear your voice skin to skin um you know there's so many ways that you can bond with your baby that is not feeding so no one should ever feel like that's the only reason they need to introduce a bottle if you want to then absolutely but i just want to make sure people know that you're not anything negative for choosing to exclusively breastfeed that is absolutely your choice to do however if you want to introduce a bottle um, of, you know, just, you, you just have to sort of think about what would suit me best. There's no, you know, not like, what, is this the right way to feed my baby? What works for you? What, what is going to be your choice that you genuinely feel comfortable with? You don't want to, you know, if you see, you know, you don't want to feel like, oh, I wish I could introduce a bottle, but I feel like I'm going to be judged if I do that. If you're not doing what works for you, you're not going to be happy with, with how it's going, you know? So if you truly want to exclusively breastfeed, never feel guilty or that you should be introducing a bottle. If you want to introduce a bottle, introduce a bottle, you know, you've got to do what works for you, your family. And so, you know, if you if you would like to introduce a bottle, is it going to be your express milk? In that case, you will need to pump. Um, is it going to be formula? What is what is your choice? What is it that you're happy with? You know, so um, certainly a pump is going to be important. And, you know, different pumps are for different reasons. Um, hospital grade pumps, they're, they're something you can rent. Um, they'd be extremely expensive to buy and 
uh, so you can actually rent them monthly. Um, and that's, this is if you had um, something where you just needed to maybe pump to build your supply, you had a lower supply, or you needed to use it temporarily. That would be like the 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 is sort of the highest quality of pump. But then there's lots of other different pumps. You can get electric pumps, double, you can get single ones, you can get wearable pumps. And, you know, they have different sort of strengths, different quality, because it depends what you want to do. If you're someone who is an exclusively pumping mum, then maybe the best thing suited for, for her would be a double electric pump, because it, especially if you have uh, more than one baby, double, because it just half the time you need of pumping. Um, but a single one, obviously we know that it's, pumps are a, a large cost and if you haven't got someone who's gifted it to you or you haven't got money towards it then it is a large expense to sort of pay out for they're, they're usually you know they can rate they range from under 100 pounds to quite a few hundred pounds but it's not just the most expensive is going to be the best one for you they are suited for different things if you just are doing the occasional bottle then you don't you won't need to have a double pump you know plugged in electric a wearable pump might be something that suits you better you want to be able to pump and you need to move around especially if you have an older child you're not going to be able to sit there plugged into to the wall and pump so um it's about finding the pump that works for your situation rather than just buying the most expensive and, and sort of fingers crossed and regardless of the pump you use my biggest piece of advice is check your flange size measure your nipple with the ruler in millimeters check the flange size they can be called flanges or shields depending on brands if it's too small you can end up getting nipple trauma because it's trying your nipples trying to squash into something too small if it's too large then some of your areola can get drawn up inside of the pump as well and not only will you not yield as much milk and get as much out of your pump but you can end up being in a bit of pain as well if your pump's second hand check the parts they may need to be some of them need to, may need to be replaced the flange the membrane different sections um so like it's just important to know that because i can sometimes see you know mums will try and pump get 10 mil and think i just can't do it now, of course, you're not going to get the same from a pump as you get from your baby. Your baby is eliciting this lovely hormonal response from you. Your letdown's happening. Your oxytocin is, is sort of um, increasing. And that you don't get quite the same from a plastic flange. So um, it's never, you know, pumping is never going to be a way to check how much supply you have, how much milk you have, because it's about that hormonal response. So there's things you can do um, I actually have a really good blog post about that, how to get the most out of your pump on my website. But it's just a really important list to see that it's not just, oh, I couldn't do it. You know, let's go through the list and work out, you know, what I can do to try and increase my milk output. Yeah, it's, it's about having information and yeah, doing the best you can. With yeah, it. <laughs> it all comes down <laughs> to education. And actually, let's talk about that supply because I, I didn't know that it's basically, I was going to say like a vicious circle, but the opposite of vicious circle as well, where <laughs> the more, the, the, basically the more you produce, the more, or the more you, the baby consumes. Remove. Right, yeah. the more you remove, that's what I say. Yeah, the more you remove, the more you produce. Is that right? Yeah. So I always say the more you remove, the more you make, the less you remove, the less you make. Your body is incredibly responsive. And so um, what, when when baby's here, your your you and your milk comes in. Lots of um, lots of people can experience just incredible pain, uncomfortable engorgement. Some may not you may not feel much at all, but this doesn't mean that you don't have any milk to focus on understanding if your milk's coming, look at how your baby is feeding and they consuming a lot more. Um, look at their nappy output. You can see from them feeding, whether it's that small amount of colostrum or they're really sort of like really feeding on that that mature milk now. Yeah, to, to, when your, your breast or your milk comes in, you may find that you have this super engorgement and, you know, no, a lot, so many people have said to me, no one tells you about that. No one tells you that. So dealing with engorgement, trying to feed your baby, um, whilst we're on the subject of engorgement, tips 
reduce swelling, increase milk flow. So you want cold compresses, you want lymphatic massage, which is sweeping motions up towards your lymph nodes in your neck and your armpit. Uh, so very, very gentle and cold compresses. So this just reduces the swelling and makes your allows your milk ducts to sort of the milk flow to flow out of them a bit better. So th those are the tips for dealing with that crazy engorgement if you experience it. Um, so this is because your body's saying, I don't know if you've had one, two, three babies, here's all the milk, have all the milk and then feeding responsively, which is following baby's lead, as you said, that's how every time your baby feeds, it's telling they are telling your body, this is actually how much I need. So your supply will then settle and establish. So the way to support an ongoing good milk supply, especially in the early days, is feed responsively. Now, I say this hand in hand uh, with some babies are very sleepy. They can be lethargic for many reasons. I mentioned some of the uh, med uh, medication given to you during labour, but also if a baby's jaundiced, they can be very, very lethargic and half the, the effort is just trying to wake them up for a feed. Um, so feeding responsibly, but some babies may need a little help in the early weeks just whilst they become more alert. So you want to feed frequently. So we're looking for eight to 12 feeds in a 24 hour period. This is to ensure baby's getting enough, but also to ensure you're removing enough milk to keep an ongoing um, good milk production. Um, you also want to try to drain your breasts at each feed. Now, your breasts are never truly empty. Milk production is ongoing 24 hours a day. However, engorgement, that, that fullness, that's what we class as your breasts are full of milk. And it not, doesn't have to be engorgement. You can feel full without being uncomfortably engorged, but you will feel when you're, <laughs> you need to, to, to feed your baby. That's when your breasts are full. And then when they go, you know, very comfortable and soft again, that's what we call empty. But as I said, never truly empty, but that's, you want to try to empty your breast at each feed. Now, when you're very engorged at the start, you may find that's a bit difficult. So um, if you feed your baby, you're still feeling very full, hand express or pump for five minutes, but try to focus on maybe just hand expressing until you feel comfortable again. So um, once your supply sort of establishes and settles, you hopefully won't get as much engorgement and then you are feeding responsively. So you're following your baby's hunger cues. Um, a sleepy baby, will mention sleepy babies, they may not be showing hunger cues and babies can sleep through hunger cues. So you should wake a sleeping baby you should always wake them if it's time for a feed then they will start to hopefully show you when they're hungry and um you know there's no schedule there's no you know rhyme or reason or time but keeping baby skin to skin can really um encourage their breast seeking behavior so i'd really encourage that in the early days of your breastfeeding um but yes you should be waking babies to ensure they're having eight to twelve feeds in a 24-hour period so Eight being the minimum, you'd think every three hours, but they may well feed far more constantly than that. And you, it's more likely they'll feed more frequently. Cluster feeding is when a baby will feed, you know, they could be on every 10 minutes for an hour. They could be on for, for a block of sort of three, four hours, just constantly wanting to feed. In those early days, day, around day two, it's very normal. It's a good thing. And I really encourage to lean into it. I think this can be a time a mum can really panic. So I've not got enough milk. They just want to feed all the time. I'm clearly not filling them up. Babies are clever. They're stimulating your milk production. They want that milk. So they are cluster feeding to try and get, get a lot more. Cluster feeding can sort of be sporadic over the, the sort of first year of their life. If they're unwell, they'll want some antibodies. If they're growing, they're more hungry. On a hot day, they're more thirsty. So, you know, if they're overstimulated, if they're overtired, if they hurt themselves in any way, then they will come to you for comfort and they may just cluster feed a lot for that. So cluster feeding, you know, leaning into it in those early days. But the only time you sort of cluster feeding would be a red flag that we need to get some extra support is if baby is feeding, cluster feeding all the time. They are never having a settled period. Every time you put them down, they want more feeding. They are never just sort of settled. They have no alert time where they're sort of chilled and instead of just constantly asking for, for the breasts. If they are feeding all the time, 
then maybe that, that that's the time that I would definitely seek support. Yeah, and I suppose to ask, I think you mentioned, I could be wrong, um, about no, looking at nappies to know whether they're, they're well mm-hmm. fed. Nappy output, or- yeah, yeah, yeah. So how to know if the baby's getting enough milk? Because it can feel hard, especially if you're breastfeeding, because, you know, you can literally say with a bottle, they had 50 mil, they had 60 mil. Um, But with breastfeeding, it can feel a bit bizarre because you just feel like you're guessing, but you don't have to guess. So the main um, sort of way we can tell is uh, weight gain. So steady weight gain, regaining their birth weight. Uh, Babies will lose a bit of weight when they're born. And then within two weeks, um, majority will have gained it back. And that is through feeding. So if feeding is not going very well in that time, then we can see slow weight gain, no weight gain or a bit of weight loss. And so, you know, it's really important to focus on, you know, how many, uh, how they are gaining weight. And between those weigh-ins, it can feel like, how do I know? Nappy output. Are they doing enough wheeze and poos? Um, if there's not enough going in then there's enough coming out so it's a really handy way I mentioned settled feeling settled between feeds um, you know they, obviously at the start they might just be sleeping but to have a tiny bit of alert time where they're chill and they're not just asking for food all the time like it's a lovely thing to see that they're at some point they were satisfied you know babies feed very frequently so you know they 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 will likely ask for food quite quickly but it's nice to see even if it was for two minutes five minutes it's just nice to see when they're sort of relaxed um between the feeds and they they relax into the feed as well they're content you know for for periods of the day when they're not overtired or asking for food and does that apply to formula fed babies as well? Do you, or do yes. you have more of a, a number to aim for to, you know, as you said, like measuring milliliters? So it is important to still responsively feed with a bottle and you can actually overfeed a bottle fed baby, but not so not a breastfed baby. And the reason for this is the flow of a bottle tea is much faster than breastfeeding and babies have less control. So when they first latch on the breast, they suck, 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 suck to stimulate your oxytocin, which is your letdown, which um, signals for your body to release milk. And then um, a baby sort of, um, not all babies do, lots of babies fall asleep at the breast, um, but some babies can literally do a very dramatic sort of turn off of the breast to say, I'm finished now. Um, and so they have that control of starting and stopping. Um, but with bottle feeding, it's really important to pace your baby's bottle feed. I have lots of information. I have a video demo and a whole post about why it's important to pace and slow down and be very responsive with bottle feeds to ensure we're not overfeeding. So if a baby shows hunger cues and you're exclusively bottle feeding, then you would make up a bottle. But um, don't, you know, you might have a, you know, you might have a number in your head of what you think they will have. But if they show that they're finished before then, we don't encourage them to drink more. We, We have to show them and let them show us their fullness cues as well as their hunger cues. So, um, pay, you know, there's lot, there's different positions you can feed your baby in, but the cradle where you'd sort of hold your baby here, we'd want them more upright. And so laying down and sort of bottle like this, can you imagine laying down drinking a a bottle it would you'd sort of struggle to be able to stop so a baby will naturally keep going because they're um, run on instinct if there's enough milk in their mouth they will swallow so they can continue to feed before when they're actually finished so having them upright every time they take a breath dropping the bottle down giving them space and time to show you whether they're finished um and there are rough guidelines over what a baby will um drink from a bottle but it does vary. So I don't really want to just say this is it because if your baby's drinking a little bit more, um, I don't want people to sort of panic. What I really want people to focus on is um, pacing the bottle feed and allowing them to show you when they're done. So you would still responsibly feed, but we're not 
putting 200 mil in a bottle and going like this and just getting as much in them as possible because we they you might get a colossal spit up after that their their stomachs are very small in the beginning they um only about the size of a cherry so we don't want to be putting <laughs> insane amounts in them because they will just spit it back up because it will be too much for them so pacing the bottle the um bottle feed focusing on weight gain nappy output um and yeah just making sure they can show you when they're finished interesting and you mentioned before about the different teeth on bottles and how you want to if you are breastfeeding and you want to combine that with a bottle you're trying to find a teeth that's quite similar to the nipple is that correct so um i'd be very mindful of of marketing techniques if it oh it's exactly like a breast it's just like a breast just like a breast but you know silicone would can sometimes sort of mimic an engorged breast which we know babies don't love to feed from and they they it's more difficult to get a deep latch on that so i'd be very careful of the marketing tactics of exactly like a breast because it's never going to be exactly like a breast but what we do want to help um, help baby to achieve is a deep latch on the bottle because especially if you're going between breast and bottle um, I would advise trying to get one where baby can latch deep deeply onto the bottle because we're encouraging the same latch with both if babies latch very shallow on the bottle um, it may be more difficult to get them to do that wide open mouth because we're not encouraging that when bottle feeding and so um, I would advise sort of a gradual a gradual slope from teat to base and you know keeping it you know not not too wide and you know if, if you have a bottle that doesn't sound like that and your baby's feeding fine from it. I'm not telling you throw it away, purchase some new ones. There's so, but there's so many bottle bottles out there, so many different brands, so many different shapes. It is what I recommend, especially sort of going between breast and bottle, is a gradual slope into the the base of the teat, just so baby can get their their lips deep deep on the bottle instead of just on that nipple teat. Because if you think how that would be on the breast, you'd be yelping in a lot of pain because it'd be a very shallow latch. Okay. Yes. Wide latch. Okay. Please yeah. Nice deep so latch. <laughs> Um, and I suppose moving away from breastfeeding or like, I mean, I don't know. I don't know what my plan is. I don't, I'm very much going to go with the flow. I mean, I've had breast augmentation, so I don't even know. I'm trying to prepare myself for it not working at all, just in case. Um, but I think I'm feeling a lot more confident in terms of like that it'll be fine either way. I think it's just having all that knowledge. Um, but I suppose one more thing I want to talk about was moving away from breastfeeding and weaning I don't know do you cover that at all or how do you know when it's time yeah, to yeah. start giving them well, solids there is yeah firstly I would definitely on for your specific situation I would definitely um speak to a lactation consultant maybe you know prepare for what's what you're able to do it would be really good to just chat to them um if you've had breast augmentation just to see um uh what they think is sort of possible but as you said you can just see what happens when baby's here you can do whatever um but in terms of when it's time to stop there's no time there's no there's no time it's what works for you if you feel ready to stop then i would definitely get support with with weaning from the breast um especially if you have a baby that really really loves <laughs> loves the breast so it can be hard it's an emotional time um and you know so i think in my head i said you, sometimes you have a a time that you think in your head i have a f friends who thought three months and they they went to a year and they were shocked that that, that happened um not because not in their abilities they just had a figure in their head sometimes you just 
randomly have a figure. I think mine was 18 months and here I am two and a half years later still uh, feeding my daughter to sleep and I have no intention of stopping oh. anytime soon. Yeah, yeah. That's all we do now, just one one feed to sleep um, and it suits us fine and it, it's just a lovely part of my day and it's, yeah, it, it really works for us. Some, baby, some babies who are, you know, older babies, even toddlers that are feeding through the night still, it can be an, a common thing is night weaning, um, which I know a lot of people do. So it just... It, just like I said about how you feed your baby, you have to find what works for you. If you feel you've had you've had enough and you would like to stop or you feel it's coming to its natural end, you just need a little bit of help to get there. You know, there's lots of things you can do. It depends on your child. Are they are they are the child that's clawing at, the, at your top like this or are they pretty chill and they don't really ask? My daughter never asked for it. She just took it when I offered it. So if I had stopped, I think she would have been one of the, the sort of babies or children who... Um, would have taken to it a bit easier. Whereas some pe- some babies are asking for milk and getting, you know, quite cross about it if they're told no. So it's, I, you know, it's hard to give specific advice because every single situation is different, but a gradual approach is usually always going to be a more gentle approach. Getting support as well and, and keeping on top of your milk supply because if it's a gradual decrease, we don't want to get our breasts too full of milk and then go into block ducts, mastitis and, and other yeah, nasty that's things like that. So it's a real well. gradual yeah. decrease. So you don't just stop removing milk it's a gradual decrease and you still listen to your body and you remove a little bit of milk because i mentioned about draining the breast so when your breast is empty of milk um milk production speeds back up so that's why when we do want an abundance of milk and a continual you know um good milk supply we want to drain the breast to speed milk keep milk production speeding back up and um, replenishing what we've removed um if your breasts are full and you're not removing much milk milk production slows down so this is obviously a bad thing if you want a good milk supply. If babies latched for very shallow, uh, they may not be transferring milk as effectively. So this shows up in slow weight gain for baby, but it can be a reduced milk supply for mum because you're you're removing less, so you're continually making less. And so that's actually the perfect thing you need for weaning. <laughs> so it's just removing enough to be comfortable, never leaving your breast engorged. Engorgement is a sign of you need to remove some milk. So... Um, it's just a gradual decrease. And I, uh, you can find that you still could hand express and get a drop out for, you know, months and months afterwards, but you're not, it's not to the point where you need to keep, keep removing milk. So a very gradual decrease in, um, in milk removal is definitely what's needed. Okay. Yeah. Oh, so much to learn. And I know, I know you, you know, we, we talked <laughs> a lot before to take in. in, you know, we, I think we talked, I said for like two hours before. And another thing that we probably can't really show on the podcast is the angles for breastfeeding and stuff like that. So yeah, so um, breastfeeding positions. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think what best is probably to head, head to your Instagram. Actually, let's talk um, about yeah, where, for where sure. can people find you? Yeah. So my Instagram is Nurture with Lydia. Uh, that's also my Facebook page. And my website is nurturewithlydia.com. I have loads of resources on my website, video demos, you know, just like information. I'm just, it's a big information sharing uh, page for me. And I have a um, blog on my website where I, I sort of try to do some deep dives into different topics. Um, and you get exclusive access to that first via my monthly newsletters. So yeah, I'm just, I'm big on information sharing. I just want to get those skills out there so people can, can learn without, you know, especially without having to necessarily, um, you know, s- seek out specific, you know, classes, etc. However, if you would like to. I also host virtual classes, virtual one-to-one support, and I do home visits in the London area. So I sort of try and cover you from pregnancy through to postpartum for as long as you need it, through to weaning your child from the breast, you know, 
I, I'm basically here to help. <laughs> um, but yeah, breastfeeding positions, it's hard to, hard to, hard to go into every single one in the time we have. But, um, uh, you know, positioning is how we hold baby to the breast to allow them to effectively latch onto the breast. So positioning and latch basics, honestly, like learning the theory now to do use it, use it practically when baby's here is far more beneficial than I, I think people think because it's like, oh, I can try on a doll, but my baby's not here yet and it's not moving like a baby. So what's really the point? But just get understanding it because I really try to, to give give people the information to be able to assess their own feed, right? How's baby? Oh, are they too far round? Are they too far forward? Like, how are they approaching from the breast? Is the chin in the right place? Is their nose in the right place? Is my nipple in the right direction? All these little things and how to hold them. And, you know, there's no one size fits all at all. And, you know, there's some recommended positions, but if you have larger breasts, if they are drooping breasts and you can't see your nipple or baby to latch, you know, all different body shapes, breast anatomy can mean that you may have to tweak things to get baby to latch well. As long as your baby is latched deeply and feeding effectively, I'm happy. But there's sort of little tweaks you can make to to sort of give yourself the best chance of getting that like beautiful deep latch and for breastfeeding to be comfortable for you and effective, effectively transferring milk to baby. And what was the angle you, that's optimal? Is it down towards the chin or was it up? I can't remember. So, um, so when baby's latching and it, it's, it doesn't matter what position you're in, the, this, all the principles are the same, that you want sort of your nipple to be in the direction as if it's pointing up your baby's nose. And okay. obviously it's natural to think you put the, your nipple into your baby's mouth. But when baby ha- drops their head back to open their mouth nice and wide, your nipple will then be pointing to the top of their mouth. And this enables your breast to go th- through to the back of their mouth. So we all have a hard palate here and a soft palate at the back. You want your nipple in right at the back there at the soft palate. If it's in the hard palate, it's being compressed on a hard palate. You will not only feel pain, but you will then end up with some nipple trauma. So sore nipples are usually the cause of a shallow latch. So waiting for baby to open the mouth nice and wide, nipple pointing upwards, and then that's how you latch on at that lovely angle so that nipple goes far back in baby's mouth. Actually, and that's one last thing I'll ask you before I let you go. Tongue tie. So this is only something I heard about recently. And I know you're uh, is it, uh, you're studying it at the moment. Is that right? Uh, it's something that I, I would like to become a qualified tongue tie assessor, but haven't started yet. Um, so tongue tie and also tension. These are two things that, you know, I sort of describe it as I can help everything mum side. So I can support with latch positioning, education, learning these skills, knowing how to feed effectively. But they also could be something that needs further investigation, such as a tongue tie, um, which is, you know, we all have a frenulum under our tongue. But that frenulum, depending on um, uh, where it sort of sits in your mouth, it can um, sort of anchor a baby's tongue a little bit more to the ba- base of their mouth and what this means is they are unable to use it effectively a tongue has a really sort of beautiful wave-like motion when feeding but if the tongue is um, restricted uh, then it won't be able to do this and so this means that a baby may not be able to uh, sustain uh, a deep latch during a feed and so it's definitely something to be aware of I definitely think all parents deserve to be educated on it and the, the times I would refer for a tongue tie is if you know, position and latch has been eliminated as the reasons why baby isn't latching effectively. You know, we've done everything parent side to make sure that that things are looking good. You know, position is is good. They are they are we are giving them the ability to latch effectively, but it's still something still not not 
not allowing them to to latch deeply and sustain that deep latch so that's when i would i would recommend sort of looking into tongue tie and um, tongue tie practitioners qualified tongue tie practitioners frenulotomists are who you need to see to get to get um a proper oral assessment and then um a division if necessary but tension as well um so tension tense muscles tight muscles Obviously, if you pulled a muscle in your jaw or your neck, think how that would affect your feet, you feed eating and your sort of jaw function. So this can also restrict a baby's ability to uh, latch well and feed well. And so tension can be released by a cranial osteopath. And um, yeah, it's just things to be aware of. Um, and it's not to sort of scare people, but but just to be aware because tongue tie can be overdiagnosed, it can be underdiagnosed, but make sure someone qualified, a tongue tie practitioner, a frenulotomist, is the person telling you if your baby's got a tongue tie or not. Some people are, as I mentioned, as tongue tie assessors. So those people can, but an oral assessment is required, which is glove fingers in your baby's mouth, assessing that oral function, not just peering in the mouth. If someone just looks in your baby's mouth and says they are or are not tongue tied, you have not had a, a proper tongue tie assessment. And I say that because I unfortunately see it far too frequently. Mums are told, oh no, they don't have a tongue tie. And so they, you sort of take that out of your head. Um, of, and I've heard of, you know, being told that maybe the pain's just in your head, which is absolutely not the case at all. That's, you know, it's just a case of sort of not believing or dismissing situations. And equally, you may be told your baby has a tongue tie, but it hasn't been assessed properly yet. And, um, you know, you, there may be poor positioning and, and a poor latch, but you hold your hopes onto tongue tie. The tongue tie gets divided. If there's no additional feeding support, then that issue hasn't been fixed, but a baby's, you know, so it's about getting yeah. the right support from someone qualified to do so. Yeah. So then just having that knowledge that it's a possibility, you know, just to, so that yeah. we have. It just, you yeah, just understanding, understanding what it is for sure. Um, and yeah, just knowing that, because I, I do, I do think, you know, a reason why many women do stop breastfeeding is nipple pain. It, it's things like that. If it's painful, you can't be expected to continue without the right support. So knowing your avenues, knowing that it's not just the end just because you have sore nipples, like allowing your nipples to heal and getting the right support to find the root cause of why they are sore in the first place. You know, so I, I always just want to equip people with the knowledge to be able to make informed decisions because I think that's denied. If we're not giving the right information skills, then new mums are denied that chance to make an informed decision because they aren't informed so yeah brilliant yeah no I think that's exactly what we've done hopefully with the podcast I, and again it's only touching <laughs> on each part um you know in, in at a at a top line yeah earlier I said to you I could do we could have a six-hour podcast episode about this and I wish I could take people through everything but I would just really recommend getting some antenatal education preparation and knowing what your postnatal support options are. If you're in hospital, is there an infant feeding team available? Is there a breastfeeding specialist midwife? What? Who are the lactation consultants in your area who do home visits? You know, prepare yourself, not preparing if it goes wrong, but know that breastfeeding challenges happen. And unfortunately, without the right support, they can worsen. So just getting swift support and knowing your options before baby's here is my number one bit of advice. Yeah. And I just, and again, to emphasize that as an fed baby, as a happy baby, if whatever happens, yeah, happens and, I'm telling myself. Yeah. Um, <laughs> brilliant. Well, we have your website. I'm going to have your website in the show notes, nurturewithlydia.com and obviously you. your Instagram. You've loads of informative content there. And um, thank you so much for your time today. And I hopefully, hopefully everyone found it a little bit helpful. 
Yeah, no worries. Thank you so much. So thank you so much for listening to the full episode. If you did find it helpful, it would really benefit us if you were able to leave a five star review wherever you listen to your podcast. And just one more mention for our friends at flowstate.ie who have given me a huge discount off their stunning yoga products. So they have gorgeous yoga mats and blocks and cleaners and other stunning bits. And the discount there is Life Lessons 30. Life Lessons 3.0 on flowstate.ie. And thanks again for listening.